Schedulicity has done it once again. They, uh, uh, in addition to their $5,000 a month grant that they give to a barber or to a hairstylist, um, they just, uh, they just made it so it's uh, a little bit easier to make some money. Yeah. I mean, they uh, came out with a credit card processing uh, payment system called Schedulicity Pays. It's pretty exciting, right? I mean, like they're offering it, uh, they're offering credit card processing for 1.99% or 10 cents a, a swipe, but... And what's cool about that is that they'll get, even give you a uh, free uh, card reader. That's unheard of, right? Because I know I paid like a bunch of money for mine. Yeah. You know? So they're going to give it to you free and then only charge you 1.99% per- with... Uh, 10 cent a swipe fee, right? Yeah, you can't beat that. You can't beat that at all. Um, and also what's really cool too is it works within your Schedule City app, so you don't even have to leave the app or use a different um, like app outside of outside of the, uh, you know, the, the, the already app, right? Yeah, you just stay in one platform. That's can't it. get easier than that either. I'm like, <laughs> I know, right? And you can uh, manage all your uh, all your papers right through there, right? Yeah, all your inventory and everything. It, you know, all major credit cards are accepted. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the best part, which is also what makes Schedulicity incredible, is their their customer service, or as I like to be called, the rock stars. The rock stars. So you still have the love, same. Love the rock stars. The rock stars are are the difference makers in this company, as far as I'm concerned. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and so you still get that uh, that that same service with them. Um, so I mean, literally getting paid just got a little bit better. Yeah. And then for uh, more information, just visit schedulicitycares.com to find out uh, more information on getting paid. Schedulicity Cares. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Cordy. I sit with my best bud, Tony. What's up, Tony? What's up, brother? How you doing? Uh, I'm so excited about today. You have no clue. Oh man, I'm fanboying. First, first, I think I owe you an apology because you put her on my radar about a year ago, and and it didn't quite sink in enough. Um, but then, uh, then I heard her speak, and then I was like, I was in two feet, two arms. I was, I was whole body in. I'm drowning right now. Yeah, I heard a year ago. You know, I was listening to her, and I knew a little bit about her. But man, I've been such. I've, I've been fanboying ever since. Yeah, right. I mean. I'm a huge fan, huge fan. Well, again, I apologize to you, and I apologize uh, to our guest today for, uh, for for not jumping on the uh, the old Nikki Lee bandwagon earlier. But, oh, did I let it out? Yep, did I let it out? So today we're talking to uh, Miss Nikki Lee. Nikki Lee is the founder of Statements Inc. Statements Inc. has got so much going on. I think we'll wait for Nikki to uh, to kind of tell us about it. Yeah, I agree. Wanna? Should we just jump right in? Let's do it. That's it. Stop making fun of ourselves and just yeah. get in. Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, Although you, we could do that all day because there's so much to make fun of. But. <laughs> it just get repetitive. Yeah. Old, old dad jokes and stuff <laughs> start coming out. So Miss Nikki Lee of uh, Statements Inc., you know, welcome hey to your there, day. Hey there, guys. You guys crack me up. You guys are so cute. I can't uh, take it. So cute. That's why we're best friends because every day he cracks me up. I can see that. I can see the synergy. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> well, welcome to our synergy, Thank man. Thank you welcome for welcoming, in. In, welcoming me in. I, I really appreciate it. I'm quite honored. I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
Thanks, Nick. Like I said, I, I, I've been a huge fan. Uh, you know, I, I've been, yeah, fan boying for over a year and, uh, I truly believe in what you're doing and what you're saying and everything that you're doing for the industry is, is so positive. But before we get into all of that, I want to get into who Nikki Lee is. Where were you born? Where were you, where were you raised? I was born in Saigon, Vietnam. My mom is Vietnamese and French. And uh, I was born in 1971. And my father, my biological father, I don't know him. So he is apparently Scottish. And uh, apparently has really short, stubby legs and really kinky, curly hair, because that's what I got. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, but anyway, he's um, he's Scottish guy, so I have that. And then uh, I lived there in Saigon with my mom for until the day of the fall of Saigon. We left. Uh, coincidentally enough, we had a, a flight booked from my biological grandfather who gave my mom airline tickets and said, get the hell out of Vietnam quick. And we left on the day, the morning of the fall of Saigon with all of the sirens going and everything. We left, we flew on a plane. My mom was five years old with me and uh, we got off a plane and onto Guam, had no idea where to go. And that, my mom is a tough broad because of that. So I come from just you and your mom. mom I just got up. Yeah. She, uh, she tried to get back to get my grandma and my aunt and my niece, but, uh, the, the, um, Soldiers from the Viet Cong site had reached the bridge and wouldn't allow everybody to pass with shooting people there, so she couldn't go. So she had to turn back and get on the airplane. So we went off and got into Guam, and then we ended up with this very tumultuous story to end up in Wisconsin. Uh, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's yeah. so many questions. Okay. Sorry, Nick. So, like, like you left from like an airport on an airport because because I envision those pictures that we see of the, like the people on top of the buildings like being like helicoptered out by like U.S. Yeah, that was and going stuff. on. Like. But, and that was during that day. So it was just it was like, it was hell all hell, hell was, really. Yeah, chaos. Yeah, chaos. People were being shot. And my mom wrapped my head with a scarf because um, I had light kind of hair. And uh, in Vietnam at the time, uh, the Viet Cong soldiers were shooting anyone that looked foreign, including children. And uh, if they felt that children were mixed breed, you know, um, which I was, they, they, they thought of those children is just like trash. They're just like, we got to get rid of them. But anyway, so my mom wrapped my head in a scarf and tried to keep me, keep me safe like that. It was pretty tumultuous. Yeah. It was pretty dangerous. Do you, do you remember it? So I, mean, I have a memory, but it's only one very small memory. It, it was, I had a red umbrella that I always carry around. It's my favorite little thing. And uh, in Vietnam, apparently you walk around with umbrellas all the time. Women walk around with umbrellas because it's very hot. So I had this really cool little plastic red umbrella and I um, actually lost it once. And then I got another one. That I was carrying that, and I remember carrying the red umbrella going to the airport with my mom, and my mom said, you know, can you help me with this bag? And I'm trying to struggle with this red umbrella, but I would not let my umbrella drop. Like, that had to go with me. And so I, I have that vague mm-hmm. memory uh, of the red umbrella going to the airport, but that's about it. Do you, do you know, I do, speaking of branding, like, that red umbrella should you be think? her brand. Right? Oh, my God, I never thought of that. <laughs> Oh my God. Are you kidding me? That's like, that, that's your, that's everything. You know, that, that um, red umbrella tells you know, your entire guys, story. I ignore my story quite a bit. You can ask I've been sitting with me. I mean, I literally don't talk about myself. This is the first time public I've ever spoken about that. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's incredible. So you said you so lost, I lost it once in a well 
and uh, and and I uh, they lost me, and so they were all very stressed out. The entire village, you know. So so my mom, my grandmother lived in a village in Vietnam in a village called Thai Ninh, and but my mom and I lived in an apartment in Saigon, so which was about 170 kilometers away, and so we would go back for the weekends, and I would stay with my grandmother quite a bit. And the village, I was like their little mascot, apparently, because I was like this little curly-headed, light-haired kid walking around the village with all these, you know, Asian people. And so uh, I was really fat, apparently, too, so they <laughs> like little fat babies a lot. So um, everyone was just like, just, you know, they're like, she's like the little mascot walking around. So they let me walk around anywhere. I could walk anywhere in the village, anywhere. People would be like taking care of me. The entire village just took care of me. When I went back about 12 years ago, it's so interesting. Every single person in the village came out of their homes and their cars and their everything to come over to visit. They called me Bad Wing. My, my Vietnamese name is Tan Wing. And they called me Bad Baz Baby. And so Bad Wing is what they called me. And they were like, oh, my God, Bad Wing's home. She's home. She's home. And then they came over. And, I mean, I must have, like, hundreds of people visiting me when I went back. It was crazy. It was crazy. So. So what, your family, they were okay? Uh, they didn't have uh, so issues? So it was. It was very, very traumatic, actually. My, my niece, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, my mother's niece, my cousin, ended up dying um, because she got ill. And with the, the fall of Saigon and everything kind of crashing down, uh, medical care was really horrific. And she could have easily been cared for if she had great medical care, but they didn't have it, and so she died. My mom felt terrible about that and, and very, very guilty. My aunt now is here. My grandmother since passed away, but... Um, that's it. And we have cousins and things like that, but they're distant people. We, we don't really know them too well, but just when we go back, we say hi and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. Oh. So now you're living in, so now you, you end up in Guam. So we ended up in Guam for a short period of time. Uh, then, then there was some, obviously some care there for people flying in from Vietnam at the time due to the war. And then they ended up, my mother ended up in Hawaii <clears throat> for whatever reason. Uh, I don't really know the story of how we ended up there. And I don't really remember that part of it, but she knew a, a gentleman um, that was a friend of hers. He was living in Houston at the time and he flew us into Houston from there and sponsored us in. At that time you had to be sponsored if you were going to be coming to the States. Right. And so he sponsored us in. And then, and then from there uh, we, we ended up going to uh stayed there for, with him for a year. And then my mom was dating a guy who was a Vietnamese guy and ended up having uh, him kind of come back uh, to, he flew into Canada and, and then he found her and they ended up meeting up in, in Florida while I was still in Houston. But uh, that's all I know about that part of the story. She doesn't talk too much about that or share too much about that. Um, but then we ended up, she, she reunited with this guy who was my dad or stepdad and they ended up getting, we went to Arkansas and we stayed at Fort Chaffee in the uh, refugee camp. So when I say I'm a refugee, I re I'm really being real. Like I, I was a refugee. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I, I went to, um, Wisconsin, then a church, a Lutheran church from there sponsored my family, which was my stepdad, my mom and I to stay there. And then we just, my, then my mom and dad had my sister and then that was the four of us. And we grew up there in Wisconsin, Racine, Wisconsin, right outside of Milwaukee. What was life like in a refugee So camp? I do remember some things about that, actually. I don't remember a lot of details, but I do remember that there were bunkers or like, um, like buildings that looked like, um, I think there were, I think there were military. Um, right. Like yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was very, with, and, then, like, and then there were just beds that we all shared in a room. Um, I remember that. And I remember there was like an, a, a meal hall, like, you know, you'd go to the hall to eat all together. 
And then there were tents set up that we would have to do like immunizations and uh, things like that. Um, there was definitely some mistreatment going on there. You know, I remember my parents, my mom and my, my mom specifically talking about that a little bit. Uh, but there was some, some overall, everyone was just trying to like, just get people through. I mean, the, the million, you know, thousands of people coming through this, you know, camp, this one camp, just trying to get people through and getting people the skills that they needed and trying to place them in the right place and trying to get sponsorships. I mean, that was, uh, it, it was, uh, you know, you, you got to give the United States some serious credit. You know, I, I, when I hear people talk about the U.S. nowadays about certain things, I, I, you know, I have a personal experience with this and I have to tell you, you know, you, you have to have a lot of heart for everything that this country has done for a lot of people. And, and that's a beautiful thing that, that people have created. And I come from that immigrant status or that immigrant mentality quite a bit, you know, and uh, we have a lot of friends still from that, that area, that era. And it is so, these people are so hardworking and they're so you know, authentic and so ethical. And I'm really proud to say that I'm from that stock, you know. Mm, mm. You are blowing me away already. We haven't even got into it. Man. I know, right? Yeah. So, so you get it. You so the Lutheran Church um, sponsors you, and you end up. In yeah. Wisconsin. So that was quite a childhood. I don't know how many of you ever grew up in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin I'm just I'm like, just thinking of like the difference thing. between the heat in Vietnam. Yeah. You know, the first time it snowed, <laughs> it, was it was magical. But then the second time, my mom wouldn't stop crying. She was devastated because she lived in a tropical environment. She was so homesick. She was so right. homesick. You know, she missed her mom so much and everything. So. You know, it was, it was very sad in my house. You know, there was a lot of, but, but, but my parents are fighters. And so my, my mom worked three jobs and my dad who graduated from law school uh, in Vietnam, top of his class, uh, went and worked as an orderly in a, in a retirement home. And, um, because, wow. because of sort of a little, little bit of a language barrier and, and he lost his entire law degree. He had to start all over again. So he did, he started in law school at Marquette University in Milwaukee, took him 10 years to do it. Um, working two jobs, going to law school. Did he have to? Did he have to go? Um, did he have to redo he undergrad to the whole as well? Thing over because it was from another country, it didn't count. And and remember, remember, it was from the administration of the original government that was completely gone now. So in the country, I mean, there was nothing left of that government. And so when you talk about like invasion, knock everything down. That's what happened. So. I just, I've never thought, you know, like you hear those stories, you heard, you know, you've heard about like uh, government um, uh, takeovers and stuff. You never realize that it's not just a government takeover, but like her, like her dad, it like, it removed any credibility that he had, anything that he had worked towards or, or, you know, that that's now, right. that's a blank slate. But you can kind of see a parallel uh, as far as work ethic uh, between the two. We're going to get into that, but uh, he didn't give up. He became a lawyer yeah. again. That's that's it. Why are we talking to I you? Know, Bring right? him on the, on the line. Let's, let's talk to him about his story. And then and then my Holy mom cow. went to engineering school. Went back to engineering school. She was going to school in Vietnam, and she had to start all over too. And my mom, my mom is the one that carried the weight, though. Let me tell you, she had to be the mom. She had to work multiple jobs. She you know had to put up a with some sh- you know shenanigans of that kind of you know marriage stuff and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, is that she pushed through it and she worked super, super hard. Yeah. She made it happen. I mean, she, she really just pulled it all together and, and, and just went above and beyond. And, uh, but then unfortunately those kind of situations leave me to having to be very much growing up really quickly. You know, I, I, I didn't have a chance to be a kid. There was no like baseball games, softball games, you know, pageants, none of that nonsense. You had to come home from school. You had to cook dinner, clean the house, help t- take care of your sister. And, uh, and that, that at the time I was like, this is bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, 
through this. But you're talking about a selfless individual. A one here, you have a woman who has a child, two, who's leaving. At the time, she only had one child. Oh, right. Uh, who left everything she knew, everything she knows, in order to give her baby girl a chance at a new life or at something better or something greater or something. Uh, and that's how much courage does she, you know what I mean? It, 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 I, I it's, you can't measure it, can you? No, you can't imagine it. You know, just totally giving up everything and going to a foreign country to a different language and hope that your child. <laughs> well, that's be- it. Your only currency is hope. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's I, my hats off my mini hats off to your mom and the courage. And, you know, that's, that's, that's an amazing story in its own. You ain't kidding. Thank you. I, I I'm actually quite proud of that story. You but again, be. like I said, I've never shared that story in public. This is the first time. Hey, <laughs> hey, welcome. Welcome to your day off. That's right. Hey, so so Nick, so um so she's working all these jobs and then and then not only that, but she's also being like the 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 wife of a full time student or or certainly of a of a of a of a longtime student. Yes. And and that yeah. was hard. That was hard. Um it was a harder childhood than one can imagine. So when I hear you know, and this is, this is when I hear things about people making excuses about not doing stuff or getting stuff done, you know, that's my reference point. So it's a very mm-hmm. difficult thing for me to wrap excuses. You know what I mean? So I tend to be a little hard nosed about that. I tend to be just a little bit impatient and intolerant. And I try to be more patient, tolerant of excuses, but you know, when you, and, and we're one of millions of people that have lived like this. I mean, I'm not anything unusual. You know, I know these people, I've met these people. So when I see someone making an excuse because of something lame, I get really frustrated, you know, because I've right. seen people have to push through and not just like one day, we're talking like years of pushing through some pretty tough stuff. So, you know, though, I mean, it's like, it, you only know that perspective when you live that perspective, right? Like, like the, the, Nikki and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to throw out an assumption on you and like, you can either yell at me about it or you can live with it. But, 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 but unfortunately Nikki had to learn how to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Right. And that's such a learned skill that, um, that a lot of people that have always been comfortable have never had to. And by the way, I'm guilty of it. There, there's no way I'm not past this. You know, when I get uncomfortable, I get uncomfortable if that makes sense, you know? Um, but you know, you, you have these rare breed of people either from circumstance or from in the core of them that, that, that are comfortable with the uncomfortable, you know, and, and, and I, that's amazing because I actually think that that's kind of, that's kind of the secret sauce in these things. You know, I think success happens with that uncomfortableness, you know, it, it's accepting that, okay, this is uncomfortable or accepting that this is a failure. How do we move forward from it? You know, exactly. so, but I, but I think that that's a learned behavior or, or, you know, for you, you know, you just learned it at four years old or less, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I don't, yeah, like I don't, I guess I don't fault people, but just that they're not challenging themselves to feel uncomfortable. So how was your English then? Yeah, no, right. <laughs> obviously you had to go to public school or some. you know what I mean? He, uh, I didn't speak English until I came to the United States and I learned English in kindergarten. Really? Six years old or something like that. Five or six years old. Yeah. And then I walked in and that was one of my first memories actually was when I walked into my kindergarten class. And everyone treated me like I was some kind of crazy, weird thing, you know? I don't know why. 
Uh, well, you were this fat little blonde haired curly Asian kid. I guess kid. so. I <laughs> guess so. But they were like, wow, you know, like touching my hair. And then there was this little kid named Eugene Drazen. And he comes over. He was like, stop it. Everybody knock it off. Get away from her. You guys are treating her weird. Knock it off. And you know, Eugene and I became best friends until I moved away from Virginia. He was my protector all, all my whole childhood. So are you still in touch with Eugene? No, no, I wish. I wish. I wish. Oh, but, oh man. Yeah. I heard you were quite the pit bull. <laughs> Where'd you hear that from? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you were the protector of the neighborhood. I am. Mm-hmm. I am. Where'd you, where'd you learn that? Where'd you hear that? <laughs> just we just hear things. I, yeah, I t- you know, I'm a huge fan. I heard that uh that uh, you know, if a bully crossed your path, they weren't a bully after that. No. No, I was I was a scrapper. I got suspended from elementary school five times. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. For what? I was what like a loser, dude. I was like I'm gonna knock your head off. <laughs> was that in Virginia? Yeah. No, no, Wisconsin. Oh, because Virginia, they'll give you the death penalty for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> if, if they find out. Right. <laughs> yeah, she was, I heard you were, she'd just protect other kids. From, I was a from scrapper. I was a yeah. scrapper. Do, yeah. do, do you have one of those stories? Oh, my God. I got some stories for you for scrapper. Tell us one of them, man. So, so I had this kid. Uh, her name was Alicia. She lived down the street from me. She had beautiful long hair. My God. Down to her knees. Beautiful. And she's a really tiny girl. And we walked to school together every day. She was so little. I was kind of little too, but I was mean. And then, um, and so anyway, she, uh, she, she was cornered one day because I guess she got lice. And uh, the mean girls kind of got a hold of her and they were cornered. And then a couple of people ran over to me and they were like, uh, you know, they, they actually, I didn't go by Nikki then. I remember my Vietnamese name is Tan Nguyen. Everyone called me Nguyen. And so they were like, Nguyen, Nguyen, Nguyen. You know, they're, you know somebody's picking Alicia. I don't know why they came to me, but I guess they knew I was going to take care of business. So anyway, I ran over there and they had her cornered and she was crouched in the corner. She was crying and they were like uh, yanking her hair and it was just mean shit like that. Hate this so much. And so um, I couldn't tolerate it. Honestly, even from a very young age, I couldn't tolerate it. So I said a couple of things that maybe I shouldn't repeat right now. And then, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, a couple of them kind of got in my face. So I shoved a couple of them and I ended up getting into a fight where this for thrown and some kicks and you know throwing people down on the ground and stuff like that that took care of business and then uh so anyway the teacher caught me so the teacher yanked both of us down to the uh to the principal's office and uh the principal's name was mr blickle and he had a paddle on the back of his wall and and on the paddle it had holes in it and it it, it caught it he named it Mr. Blickle's Pickle, which now would never be okay. Like, oh my God. Is he in jail now? <laughs> in jail for that. So anyway, he, he, he whacked me three times with that paddle. What? Yeah, because that shit was down at that time. Yeah, that's that's how oh old I am. We got smart since elementary school. Dude, dude, so. I that never happened. Well, you know, I grew up in Maryland. So <laughs> that was never happening in Maryland. It was Wisconsin that happened. So uh, he he pulled that paddle out. He said, "Bend over the desk," and he whacked me three times, and he whacked the other kid two three times. He whacked you three times with this pickle. Yeah. <laughs> That's disturbing. I'm sorry. Uh, it's horrible. It's horrible. I know. I know. Oh my but God. anyway, so that was one of the Jesus. first times I started to fight. Then the then there's a, the, the, the big time, which I never got in trouble for this. Another girl like this kid named Nick. And this other kid, 
uh, Nick liked me, I guess. I don't really know. I, honestly, I didn't even know I was a girl. I didn't even know the difference between a girl and a boy. I was such a tomboy. Like, if anyone even knew me as a kid, no one would let me touch their hair. No one would let <laughs> do anything beauty to them. I was so dirty. I never bathed. I mean, I was like a total tomboy growing up. Um, anyway, was super upset that Nick liked me. And so I, I borrowed my mom's shirt for picture day. She didn't know about that. But, but anyway, so I had it on. It was a white lace shirt from Casual Corner. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was like my fave, but anyway, I was sitting in the class and we were doing handwriting at the time we would practice handwriting with, um, uh, an ink pen, you know, you dip it into the inkwell and you'd practice writing like that. And so, uh, geez, I'm like sounding really old, I think. Anyway, when year was it? 1776? <laughs> <laughs> she immigrated with the founding fathers. <laughs> she flicked the, uh, ink on my mom's shirt. She was sitting behind me. So I was like, "Oh hell's no!" So uh, so you so so you knew mom was gonna whoop your ass too. Mom was gonna get me, and somebody's gonna pay. So anyway, I jumped her in the middle of class, and my teacher, my my, uh, it was fifth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Jaskalski. He comes over and he yanks both of us by the shirt, my you know ink stained shirt, and he walks us and marches us to the principal's office. You know, Mr. Blickle, and he's like (laughs) marching me to the office and he's like I cannot believe you girls I can't you blah, 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 you know and takes me to the office well again Mr. Blickle and I had a little meeting and uh then after school I thought she's gonna pay she's gonna pay well anyway so we're down at the beach because in Wisconsin or Racine we lived on the coast of Lake Michigan but you would think it's a lake it's not it looks like the freaking ocean right. and uh so anyway we're down at the beach because I grew up on the edge of the beach and uh anyway all of a sudden I hear a bunch of ruckus behind me and it's, uh, uh, and I'm with a couple of my friends. And so we get to brawling and anyway, I ended up yanking her shirt off and, uh, in the middle of the brawl. And so she's embarrassed and mortified. She runs into the water. I'm like, Oh no, no, you're not getting away. So now I'm in a frenzy. So I jump in the water with her and I put her in a headlock and I'm just like pounding her and, uh, she's trying to do whatever with her arm. And I, so I grab her arm and I think, I don't know what I was doing, but I pulled it around and I yanked it down, but it, it broke. And so, you broke her arm? Yeah. And so it, 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 um, it, it made this horrible sound. And I, I immediately, I was like, oh God. And she went limp. And uh, anyway, her brother took her home and I thought, I'm going to jail. I, I'm, I'm, that's it. Like, I'm dead. And um, so I ran home. I was terrified couldn't sleep all night and you know she didn't come to school for like weeks well and I had been friends for a little bit you know distant friends but friends I'd been at her house and her mom was an alcoholic and uh so her mom was just at the time I didn't know that that's what it was but her mom literally never literally never left bed so I just don't think anyone followed through with it I never got in trouble for that can you believe that Wow, Nick, that's, Nick, that's called that move's called a Kimura. So no, that's, that's yeah, you see it all the time in uh, the UFC now. <laughs> and created by no Nick. one. I have never talked about this publicly. This is like ruining my reputation. Nick, uh, Nikki's like a, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Nikki <laughs> the pit bull Lee. <laughs> Nikki the original, the, the inventor of uh, jujitsu or something. Yeah, uh, Vietnamese oh jujitsu. Oh you know, it, it all stemmed from because. You know, obviously you were probably bullied a little bit for us getting here and you, you weren't tolerating it and you weren't tolerating it for anybody. You know what I mean? So as much as I, I'm, I, you know, don't like the violent part, but, 
you know, you, I totally respect what you did and how, you know, and why you did it. So, you know, I, I, I kind of see, we're going to see a theme here, <laughs> right? About the underdog. Um, so, uh, dude, we're still in Wisconsin. Yeah. How'd, you get to Virgi- how'd you get to Virginia or what was next? So we lived in Wisconsin 10 or 11 years. And then my dad graduated from law school and he got a job with the FTC in DC. And uh, he ended up moving here. And so he wanted my mom to move, but at the time they weren't sure if they were going to stick together. And she got a job with Westinghouse in uh, Chicago, I think. And so anyway, there was some conversation there, but anyway, we ended up moving here to Virginia and uh, we went to Alexandria first. We lived there and talk about like tough school. I mean, that was like, I I thought I was in a tough school in Wisconsin. That shit was no joke in Alexandria. (laughs) I was like the heart of the ghetto there. And uh, anyway, so I I grew up in some, you know, some rough neighborhoods and some tough, some tough situations. Um, But I made some, some best friends there and it was great. And uh, anyway, my parents decided to buy a house. So they bought a house down in Woodbridge area. And uh, then we moved down here and I went to high school here at Osmond Park. And I went from like, ghetto Wisconsin to like super ghetto Alexandra to like Whiteville in <laughs> so it was like a completely different scenario I didn't know where I was but um but that was super preppy you know everybody was preppy and that was like the 80s you know early 80s and were everything you, um, were you showering by that point yeah yeah I was trying to be cooler then you know I cared actually I, all of a sudden I started to care about what people wanted and what people thought and you know all that before then I didn't give a shit but all of a sudden in high school something happened and I was like oh I guess I better you know act like a girl so I grew up my hair and uh because I always had short hair as a kid right. and now I get short hair as an adult there was a period of time there I had some long hair right. <laughs> and uh and then I I I you know, I was a good student in the sense that I worked really hard, but I, I was not a good student in the sense of naturally smart. I had a, I had a, well, I was, I think I'm naturally smart, but I, I don't learn the typical way. And this, I think had become lessons. And I had some really good teachers there at that school that showed me that with diligence and hard work and some accommodations to your learning style, you could actually learn something really, really well. And, uh, and so I started to become an avid student and started to research, read, study, and I did it a lot, a lot. And that just has kind of carried me in my life. So, so what did you do after high school? So I went to school at George Mason, started college at George Mason, uh, with psychology as my, my focus. I was going to be a psychiatrist and, uh, with a minor in communications and, did pretty okay. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I was a straight A student or anything like that, but, um, but I did okay. You know, I crammed and, and, and I worked and I worked and I paid for college. My parents didn't pay for college. I, I was paying for college. So I was working full time, going to school full time. And I saw my friend graduate, uh, from with a chemistry degree and she was being, she, she got the salary was $38,000 was what she told me. And I was making at that time as a hairstylist in a salon while I'm going to school, 45,000, I think in my I'm at W2 plus tips. And so I was like, shit, I'm living large up in here in this industry. I'm not going, I'm, who cares about college? I don't need to do that. And I just kind of got roped up in the parting ways, you know, of the business a little bit. I got, uh, you know, I like to go out every weekend, maybe sometimes even during the week, paying for bar tabs, drinking a lot, having a good time. And I just realized that school wasn't my focus at the time. And I wanted to have fun and I wanted to kind of be that person, that partier. I was independent. I had moved out. I got my own apartment. 
I was like living large. And that was kind of where my mentality was. I wasn't thinking about success or the future or anything. Wow. Moment. What, what, why don't we know? Is she going to bought all of our drinks or something? Right. <laughs> we're, 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 we're in the area. We're in the area. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. I probably did. <laughs> all right. So, somehow we missed the story of how did you become a hairdresser? So I was uh, working fast food in high school and, um, you know, that's what everyone did when they were a teenager in the eighties, work fast food or the mall. And, uh, and the mall apparently didn't give good hours. So fast food did. And then I, I, I so I had a friend that she, her mom owned a nail business. And so she was like, you're kind of cute. You want to come work at the nail business? You want to want me to train you? And at the time it was only a six week certification to become a nail tech. You didn't have to have a license. Oh, wow. And uh, she says, I'll teach. You. I was like, okay, that sounds good to me. So I did it. And I thought in anticipation in 11th grade or the end of 11th grade, I thought, well, I should probably get out of fast food because I'm going to be going to college soon. I need a better job or I can make some money. And then there was the promise of commission, you know, meaning making more money than just hourly. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so that's kind of how I started doing that. And then once I got into nails, I went to this other salon where she was this hard woman, like, I mean, hard. Okay. But I loved her with all my heart. Her name was Rosemary. And she, she was the apprentice to Lucy St. Clair out of Paris, who was apprenticed under Vidal Sassoon. At the time, I have to tell you, I had no idea what that meant. Okay. Like at the time I was like, who's Vidal Sassoon? Who cares? You know what I mean? But as I learned more and more in the industry, to me, I felt incredibly privileged to be educated by her. And so I did an apprenticeship with her. And she said, I'll, I'll teach you as long as you do everything I ask. And I said, okay. And when I say I did everything she asked, I mean, I scrubbed the floors. I stayed late, cleaned that salon, did inventory stock. I learned every single thing the hard way from her. And she was no easy task. I mean, she was a hard, hard lady. And um, she could not grow her, her staff. Her biggest issue was leadership. And she couldn't win people's hearts. But if you saw past the hardness, you can see how much she had to offer you. And uh, that woman really started me in, in such a beautiful way in, 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 in becoming strong and powerful and, and very uh, business-minded. She taught me a lot about money. She taught me a lot about running a business. She taught me a lot about inventory and doing hair. Um, and so much. She, she offered me so much. I'm really, really grateful to her. Wow. So that kind of led me on that. And then I stayed with her for five years. And then she did this thing where she comes to me and she was like, I'm going to 1099 you. And uh, at the time I was like, wait, what? I don't, I don't even understand what that means. Right. Um, but at that time, I think everyone was kind of doing this. It was sort of like a trend, you know, like I'm going to booth rent you. It was like this booth rental mentality that was born and, and I was not down. So and I was going to school, I was really doing a lot of hours at school then. And so I thought, I'm going to get a job closer to school. So I did. So I got a job uh, at a salon. I won't mention names because at this point, I think that I don't have anything positive to say about that experience. So I don't want to throw any, one, anyone under the bus. But the experience with that salon, it was one of the biggest salons in Virginia at the time. It was one of the best. It was amazingly run. But I have to tell you, it was everything representing noncompliance, unethical, and just terrible treatment of their employees. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it 
I learned what bad salon ownership was there. That, and that was near Mason? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was a year and a half and it ended up with a lawyer involved um, oh. because of, of the treatment that was involved in there. Well, we don't want to go down that route. So, so yeah. you did, so you went, so after that, how long were you at that salon? At a year and a half? I was at that salon for a year and a half and I learned a lot and then I left and then I launched my own business. So I, I was specializing in bridal and makeup then. And mm-hmm. so I started to create sort of my own travel business on location. Um, and, and did you, did you this isn't a joke, but were you offering, um, were you offering like nail services as well? I mean, you're so well-rounded at this point. I, I, you know, I was just, I'll, I would do whatever anyone asked me to do. Like basically at that point, I'm a, I'm like a total hustler at the heart of me and, oh. and, 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 you know, I'm a grinder. So if somebody asked me to do it, I'd be like, okay, like I, I don't say no, you know what I mean? And so yeah. that was sort of my cup of tea. And so I, I just traveled, but it was mostly a bridal business. I traveled to do about, I was doing about 48 weddings at my peak a year. And then before the 48 weddings, I was doing all the, the trials and all prepping the hair with highlights and whatever, you know, beforehand, the whole bridal party. So. Whoa. Yeah. 48, 48 weddings, right? Wow. Yeah. That doesn't, like she said, that doesn't even include the, the, the lead up. Right. Yeah. Right. You must be making pretty good money then I would I'd imagine. Yeah. I can always make money. I'm always good at making money. <laughs> because she's a hustler. Like she said, she's a hustler at the, at the core, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so how long did you do You know that? why? Because I, I work hard and I don't say no. Like basically, yeah. you know, when I hear people say things now, this is like one of the, I think one of the biggest problems of this industry is that people are always coming up with some obstacle or some excuse as to why they can't. And, uh, you know, just don't do that. Just, just can, can do attitude. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I mean, if, 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 if I can make this personal for just a sec, my, one of my biggest regrets, and this is to this point, one of my biggest regrets in the industry is that um, I've been a colorist, you know, since the early nineties, but that's all I do. You know, like, like I wish I had learned haircutting because I'm intrigued right now by the whole extension thing, but because I don't cut hair, there's no way I can kind of, I can kind of do that. You know, I want to, but, but, you know, a decision I made in my, in the early nineties is now like affecting my my what's next, you know, now I could go back to law school like your dad and like learn how to cut hair and stuff, but you know, I got a podcast. (laughs) Because you're doing bigger, bigger things now. I mean, maybe that's not the route for you. Well, maybe not, but you know, I kind of wish I didn't. uh, You can make it a hobby. I'll tell you what, you just want to learn how to cut extensions. I'll come and teach you how to cut extensions in an hour. Sound good? So we're, we're date. We have a date. Okay. We're, we're going to come down. We're going to come down to Woodbridge. We're going to hang out with you. We're going to hang out with, uh, with the name we'll drop later. Um, you know, someone that is working with you now that we're, uh, we're very impressed with, but, uh, but okay. Where we, so, so you did the wedding thing and then, and then where, where'd you go from there? And then I got in a really serious car accident. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> five days before my wedding, uh, I was, uh, it was pretty bad. They had to saw the roof off the car and then had to medevac me over to Washington hospital center. And I had, uh, four broken ribs, a concussion, broke a couple fingers, sprained my wrist, uh, punctured a lung. That was the bad one. The lung puncturing was a bad thing. And then, um, well, well, what happened? What happened? In the I accident? just got in a car accident coming home from work, I guess, or from my final fitting of my dress work and then final fitting of my wedding dress and then just crash and burned. Brand new car too. I was distressed about that, but uh, not the wedding dress. Didn't fit, the wedding the dress car. was in the back of this back seat. 
Did it get ruined? Uh, no, it was covered in a plastic bag, but there was blood all over the plastic bag. So that was pretty cool. So you get medevac to the hospital. Medevac to the hospital. And then, and then after I get out, I couldn't work for a few weeks because my lung and, um, and anyway, so they, they, my dad was like, this is, this is bullshit. Like you just stop, you know, open a business. And I was like, I don't want a business. I don't want people. I don't want employees. I don't want any of that. And he was like, no, 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 you, you really do. You're, you're meant for it. You're good at it. Just do it. And I was like, I only have 12,000 in savings. He was like, okay, I'll give you a loan for the rest. So that's what happened. So he got, gave me a loan for the, uh, for 40,000. And then I had about 12,000 in savings. And then we opened a salon. I found a salon and it's a funny story around the salon. I was driving past the salon every single day and it was owned by a Korean lady. And in, in study hall, I had overheard a bunch of Korean girls talking about, Oh, the salon's for sale down in Woodbridge. And I was like, what salon is that? And they said, Oh, it's called master's touch. And it was June, the owner. And so anyway, I, I thought one day when I'm driving, oh, I kind of heard it was for sale. I'm just going to give them a call, see if it is. So I called and I asked the front desk, hey, I heard the salon's for sale. <laughs> That's what I did. Well, five minutes later, she calls me back. She's like, yes, can you meet me tonight? So I did and we talked about it. We negotiated terms and I bought that salon. So that was my first. It was just me. It was like an independent, you know, at that time, just by myself. And then my dad helped me on the desk a little bit. And my mom helped me a little bit here and there. And then it kind of grew. And then, so three years in the business. Yeah. So I had that business, that small business. It was five stations. And then we expanded out to 10 stations, about 3,800 square feet. The first one was about 1,400 square feet, five stations. And then we moved into a 10 chair, 3,800 square foot, full spa on the other side, eight treatment rooms, the whole thing. Made a ton of mistakes. When did you change the name? Well, no, it was statements of salon the whole time. Oh, so when you did the 1400, then that it became, where'd you come with the name? Like we were talking before we went on about names. So like where, cause we, so, fun. so it was my sister and I, mm-hmm. um, my God, I could not come up with a name cause I don't have the creativity you have. I, 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 we were driving to mall of America, Minneapolis in the car. And I was driving by this billboard. It said, have you checked the bank statement? And, uh, and you know, I, I love, I love bank statements. So I kind of thought bank statements. Oh, that works. Yeah. So I was like, as I said it to my sister, I was like, Hey, you like statements. It means a lot of things. It means bank statements. It means like statements. Like you can make a statement. And she's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. So that's where we came up with it. In a car driving to the mall of America. Thank, thank goodness and for so that billboard. Stuff. I know, right? <laughs> it could have been a lot worse so if he's looking at billboards. So I know, I know. But I'll tell you, there was no statements anywhere. But now, all over Instagram, every time I pull up statements, there's statements everywhere. <laughs> so I guess I you're might the, have been a trendsetter about that. You're the too. OG. I'm the OG. Right. OG of the Kimura. OG of the statement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm OG of the Kimura. I'm not the OG of the Kimura. <laughs> so, so the, I'm going to backpedal just, just, just briefly. So... Your wedding was five days from after the accident, and then yeah. now we're into owning the salon. Did that ever happen? The wedding, yeah, yeah. Right. Was it five it days did. after? Or did you postpone it a little bit? No, it was five days after. We were going to postpone it, but they uh, they strapped my ribs up, and uh, they they said you want a you want a wheelchair. I was like, okay, I guess we could take a wheelchair. We had to cancel the rehearsal dinner because I got out on Friday. I got out of the hospital. They said there won't be any wedding if uh, if your lungs get an infection. So we're gonna. They had a chest tube. Have you guys ever seen a chest tube done on those doctor shows? Mm-hmm. Okay, that shit is 
ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, I had one. You had one? Yeah. I had a um, collapsed lung when I was 17. I had a cyst. I was playing football on the beach and then I, I think the, the cyst popped or something. But, you know, I started to catch my breath a little bit. By the next day, I couldn't breathe. So I went into the hospital and, and they, yeah, they put that tube on the inside yeah. the rib to inflate it. I was there for about three days and then when they take yeah. it out. That was that was so weird because it was like bloop, 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 bloop. you feel the air coming out. Yeah. It was like, yeah, and it's weird watching a tube in your lung where blood and and stuff oh. is coming out constantly. Right, it's so horrible. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. So there wasn't going to be a wall. So there wasn't going to be a there wasn't going to be a there wasn't going to be a wedding if you got an infection. No, but I didn't get the infection because you know that's me. I'm like a anti-infection. You know, I don't know. I think I had. I think my body's. Well, not anymore. Now I'm not bulletproof anymore, but I thought I was pretty bulletproof back in the day. Nothing. I, I, I fell from trees, didn't break a bone. I felt like, like I, I like face planted into a tree off my bike, didn't hurt, break a bone, like nothing. <laughs> um, got into a car accident, just got, you know, broke a few ribs and, a, you know, a couple fingers, but that's about it. And a concussion. But anyway, so ended up having the wedding. It was, it was a okay wedding. It was good. It was a bit of a disaster, really, when you think about it in the sense that it was just like, yeah, I, just, I, you know, remember, you remember that movie, 16 Candles? Yeah. Remember that sister walking down? She was high as a kite. Oh yeah. So they gave me a lot of pain meds. And so they strapped my rib up and then my bouquet was like four feet tall. So I couldn't barely hold it. So both my parents had to walk me down the aisle and the whole time I'm walking down the aisle, I'm like, hey. Oh, my God. Kathy, so nice to see you. The whole way down the aisle. That's what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh. That's so, I so want to see that video. Hey, the funny thing, half our listeners like, 16 candles. What's that? <laughs> I mean, it was so stupid. But that's how I walked down the aisle. It was a so joke. the wedding but, was so the wedding was somewhat of a success. I mean, you know, you made it through your yeah, room. it was all right. I made everyone cry. Everyone was bawling their eyes out all over the place. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, exactly. So, bridal party, everybody, everybody was crying. Minister was crying. Everybody's crying except me. I'm like, hey, <laughs> hey, girls, what you crying for? <laughs> <laughs> so that was that, and then, um, and then uh, I, but I. I'm divorced now, so it's okay. So the wedding went off, the marriage, not so much. Yeah, yeah. But we're good friends. We're good friends. That's what everyone says. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so now we're in a 1,400-foot salon. We got married. We have broken ribs. Marriage is, 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 is on the rocks. Then what? Yeah. I'll tell you why the marriage is on the rocks, because I'm going to hopefully shed some light on some people in there. Um, when you work as hard as you do as a business owner, and you sacrifice the amount of time that it takes to run a business, especially when you're in the growing fast mode, mm -hmm. um, you know, relationships go to the wayside and you don't put the time and attention into it. And there's some other factors, but you know, for my side of it, that was a big deal. That was a big issue. Tony and I have and, uh, a, Tony and I have a, 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 a good friend and um, I'll leave the name out as well, but um, she's a platform artist and she travels the world every weekend. And it, it's definitely a, a, a struggle you know, to talk those relationships together, you know, um, it, it's hard to keep those relationships together and to, and, and, and to be married to your job. You know, it's, a, it's having yeah. an extramarital affair and it's your career. Yep. Yep. And the balance is difficult, you know, and I'm not balanced when it comes to work. You know, I, I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I, I, I don't think I balance as well. And it's, it's the thing I struggle with. It's one of my biggest struggles. Still today? Is to balance that. Still today. 
But, uh, you know, because I have two boys and so being a mom is probably my favorite role of all time. And uh, we're an adoptive family. So, you know, I, I was very deliberate about becoming a mom. It wasn't accidental. You know, <laughs> open, a, open a business was accidental, but being a mom was not. <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, it's, it's this never ending saga for me of how do I balance time for my family, my kids and my, myself and everything I want to create and everything I want to do. Because when you're a creative personality and you 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 have vision about things, it's very, very difficult to shut that off. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I'm all about, you know, everyone makes jokes with me that I don't understand work-life balance. And I'm like, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life optimization. And that happens on a, on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, there are modes of your life where you have to pound it out. And there's modes of your life where you just shut it down for a little bit. And so just learning how to balance that. So I'm, I'm learning. I'm not, I'm not, I can't teach anybody that, but. Right. You're doing a great job of it. Thanks. Now we've jumped way ahead. Right. Um, what, so, so you outgrew, so you didn't just like open another salon. You actually outgrew the, those four walls and you had to. Kind of- we absolutely outgrew. There was no choice. We, we didn't have a choice to stay there. You know, even if we, even if we wanted to stay there, which we did because I liked it. I liked the location. I liked the visibility. I like, it was super visible. Um, I I just didn't have a choice. I mean, we, we could, there was not enough parking. There was not enough space for what we we wanted to do. There was no rooms to put any more chairs to sit for anybody in the waiting room. I mean, we busted at the seams. It was, it was, it was a great experience. To, to watch a business grow like what, that. So, I mean, a lot of, uh, many, many, many uh, salon companies have been in this situation to where it's time to, it's time to, um, to expand or to, you know, extend your business space or whatever. But also uh, a lot of times that's, that's the killer for a business, you know, like they expand too quickly or something like, so as a young woman, how did you, how, I forget about being a woman, but as a, as a young salon owner, how did you kind of, um, how did you know it was time to go or, or, or what kind of like, um, what word am I looking for? What metrics did you have or, or did you just get lucky, so to speak? So, so the, the one metric I kept going back to was my daily totals equal to my rent. <clears throat> and so if I, I felt like, and, and, and every day was the same, meaning even on our slowest day, our daily service total equaled what my rent so was. So basically you were 30 and- times above your rent every month. Exactly. exactly. And so in a five chair salon. And so when we were, when I said we were productive, mm-hmm. I mean, we were productive and we were open. We weren't even open seven days a week. I considered opening seven days a week, but the landlord wanted me to re-sign another five-year lease, not a three-year lease. Mm-hmm. So he wanted me to jump from a three-year to a five-year. And when I was mapping out the projections at that time for five years from now, based on our last three years of the exponential growth that we were seeing, I realized we, we, there's no way that size of that space could have sustained us. And then the space next door was a Domino's pizza and they were not going anywhere. They had like a 10, you know, year lease or some nonsense. So it wasn't like the possibility of us busting out next door and expanding space either. But the parking was the really biggest issue. We were, we were, I mean, the other tenants were like ready to murder me over the, over the parking issue. But I was just like, I, I don't know what to do about this. I'm trying to fix this. You know what I mean? I don't know what to do. Like, how could I help this? And so that was kind of the, the, the weighing decisions. And then there was a little bit of cocky ego in there too. You know, to be honest with you, it, it, and that was my mistake. 
because, and if I could give anyone advice about the expansion process, I would say, don't get your ego involved in it, remove it because my ego made me get a $220,000 loan and go build out this space, you know, that was from scratch. And why did I do that when if at any given time I could have opened up the newspaper or pulled up the internet and found probably 10 salons that are ready to drop their business for $25,000 at any given moment. And that's still happening today. Today, I can probably find you a salon owner that's ready to sell your, their business for twenty-five dollars or $50,000 just to get out. And so, because they're so broken and, 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 and can't handle the, the employee issues and the financial management of it. And I'm not saying maximize on their loss. I'm saying I could have dropped another 50000 to get into a bigger space and expand my business out to a better location that with the salon was already built out. But then my ego got in the way and it told me, oh no, I want it to be like all my style, my way, my this. It was like, like what the hell was that? It was like so immature. It was so stupid. And so I, I had a learning curve and, you know, paying back a $220,000 loan is no joke. You know, I, it's, it's since paid back, but how stupid financially uh, that decision was. And I thought I was smart then, you know, right. but how do you, how do you check yourself? Like, like, do you have a mantra or do you have something that you rely on to say, Oh, this is ego talking. Like, like, how do you, how do you check that? Because we all face it every day. Like what's your conversation? So my, my conversation in my, so I reflect at night very frequently. Um, and, and anyone who's ever taken a class from me has heard me say this. There are times of the day where there are peak production times for certain things. And I think at night, self-reflection is the peak time. So you got to do it in the right time. Doing self-reflection at like, let's say the morning for some people, if you're a morning person, that's okay. But for me, morning time, I'm all about the, the go, you know, okay. I don't want to give myself the time to think about, Oh, what was that mistake? And can I do that differently? My morning times are like, what shit do I need to get done right now? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and, and today, how am I going to handle this at night? It's a calmer time for me in my, in my mind and it's quieter and it's in the dark and I don't, I'm not with anyone else except myself. And so I have to get in the right space physically for me to do that. Um, I don't do it well in like an airport or like even sitting with my headphones or music, nothing like that. Sometimes when I'm running or when I'm walking or something outside, I, that works for me too. But at night in bed at the, in the dark is the best time. So that's really important. And then, and then I ask myself some really big questions like, is this how, who, what will be the benefit here? And then I delay the gratification. It's like buying instant, it's like instant gratification of purchasing in a store. You delay the gratification. Like, do you need this right now? Give it time, give it another week, delay the moment, and then see, revisit it in a week and then come back. And if you still feel the same way, then you know it's something worth following. And so delay the gratification, ask yourself the question, is this for you? Or is this going to serve your team or serve somebody else or serve the, the greater good? Delay gratification might be the biggest bomb I've heard on this podcast. Really? Yeah, honestly. I mean, I, I think that I think it's something that's not discussed, but we all fall into that, right? We all fall into that like instant gratification kind of thing. So you can delay yeah, that and like then, that. And then it, it, it puts different eyes on it. I love, love, love that. Everything is built on instant gratification. Everything instant, 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 right? It's very, the, the world is set up now to indulge your impulsivity. And I think that we have to become super hyper aware of our impulsivity and creative beings are more impulsive than the norm because, because, you know, you notice this is a big issue in the salon industry. People spew what they want 
you know, they, they think. And, you know, our brains, by the way, studies have shown we have anywhere from 80 to 100,000 ideas and thoughts a day. I mean, this is like a real thing. Neurolo uh, neurological studies have shown that your brain, you can actually track and measure that the brain has anywhere from 80 to 100,000 thoughts. How do you filter all of those thoughts down to like the core five that you need to focus on every single day? Mm. I mean, that takes some self-discipline. And so, so you have to know sometimes if the thought keeps reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring, it's on the, 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 the top level of what you need to get done. If it's just a passing thought that's not going to go away, that delayed gratification is going to keep that from happening. And so I, I think that that's important to, re, uh, to recognize. This is genius. For creative psychology skills. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say it too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which, which the industry kind of, kind of, you get to play with both still, the communication and the psychology. Yeah, Absolutely. That's why I love this industry so much. Because, because stylists, they have the biggest hearts I've ever seen of any industry. As I've studied other industries, man, stylists... They, they got it going on when it comes to their heart. I mean, I have never met people more kind and more willing to help for no reason other than just, let me just take good care of you. You know, I have never met more people to think like that. I, I agree with you. And I to, think their, that, to their detriment. Yeah. Yeah. To their detriment. I, I think, I think I agree with you a hundred percent. And I think like even like doctors and stuff, they get into that industry to help people. But then I think like, I think that the beast eats most doctors up, right. When it comes to like healthcare companies and doing this and now you're sweating pharmaceutical companies, you know, insurance. Yeah. It, there's just so much to it where we don't really deal with that. You know, we, we deal we have to, and I put this in quotations, you know, we have to deal with, you know, like a, like a, like a product rep coming in, but that's about it. Right. Like that's the only, that's the only thing. And, and, you know, your regulations are all done at the beginning of, of your career, the beginning of your thing. Um, and then you can just be creative. And, and I think there's something to be said about, about we're in a space to, to be creative and, and, and how much that offers us to give. Yeah. This, this industry deserves to be protected. It's a beautiful industry. It provides a platform for a lot of people who don't have a lot of options in life. You know, I, 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 you heard me speak this, this statistic with the other podcast, but I, I, I think it bears repeating. There is an industry, in our industry, we are 85% female. Nothing against men, but that's just the stat. And then in this, right now, the divorce rate sits above 50%. And in this industry, it's probably closer to 60, 65%. So how many single moms are there in this industry that, that, are creative individuals that maybe didn't do super well in school because they don't follow the normal way of learning. They deserve a chance to provide amazing lives for their families. And, uh, and, and I think this industry shelters a lot of people in that way. It's a shelter in my opinion. It deserves protect, uh, protecting. Mm. That's kind of how I see this industry anyway. Mm. I love that. I'm down. I'm, I'm, down I'm, I'm, I'm down to help. What you guys do, the two of you, you're doing that. You're protecting this industry with a lot of information. Nikki, we appreciate that. Way too much credit for us, but we appreciate that. But, you know, even on that note, I was going to, you know, our, our our brothers in the barbering side, too. Like, there's a lot of guys that are doing this, yeah. too. You know, there's a lot of guys that are that are uh, that are being that are able to raise that have passed. Right. That are yes. able to, uh, to to raise families. And, you know, I mean, I'll speak for Tony and I because I know, I, you know, when we came into this industry, neither one of us were heading anywhere quick, you know, and, and right. we were heading for trouble, honestly. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it wasn't for this industry. I don't know where we would where we would end up. Although if I quote Presley Poe, she says, people ask me what I would do if I wasn't a hairdresser. She's like, I don't have time to think about if I wasn't a hairdresser. It's what I was meant to do. You know, so, so there's also that, too. 
Um, we don't follow that necessarily, yeah. but it definitely saved us. I mean, listen, this industry has given us, given me, I won't speak for Tony, but has given me an amazing career. Um, it's, it's my only goal coming out of hair school was to make $20,000 because I thought that that's what I deserved. And, and, and over the years I've made way, way more than $20,000 and I'm appreciative of every dollar over 20,000 that, 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 that this industry has, uh, has given me and it's given me Bravo. A, 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 a family, a life, a, a home, uh, you know, cars. We don't live an extravagant lifestyle, but we certainly have a lifestyle. I love it. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so whew, we're back at statements. We're at uh, statements 1.a, right? <laughs> so you, you extend out and you get past like, um, you, you get, you, you get into your bigger space. Uh, and so you went from 1400 square feet to how big was the other one? 3,800. So you went 10 stations, stations and eight treatment How many? 10. For 220,000? <laughs> <laughs> Only cost you 220,000 for five stations. Well, well don't, don't forget my eight treatment rooms with my Vichy rooms. Oh, that's, right. that's right. That's right. Not bad. Yeah. 3,200. That's, that's, yeah. that's a pretty big salon. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It was, a, it was a large salon. It wasn't the largest, but it was a large salon. And then we expanded out of there. And then within about eight years... We had a, we signed a ten year lease about eight years. Again, the busting out of the same situation. I mean, we were so busy that people were complaining that they were exhausted. I mean, it was just we we had bigger issues. Is it is it because you guys were just that good, or is it something that you're putting together? So, I I think there's some secrets there. If you, I mean, I could share what I think it what I think it is. Um, first of all, I think the first thing is that we gave a non or, or we gave a full guarantee on everything we did. Um, and I believe in that. And this bullshit these days, by the way, of this whole, and I watch the industry um, about uh, if you're 15 minutes late, you're, it's a no-go. Or if it's, um, and, and, and people are, are viewing themselves as these people who are like, I'm professional, so I'm sticking to my guns. So I'm not going to allow you guys to abuse me. Well, they're speaking to like 2% of their industry, uh, their clientele or 1% of their, their clientele. You have a whole nother 95 or 98% of the clients that honestly, that doesn't apply to. So don't make policies around your business that are destructive to your clientele and your guest experience, by the way, and your customer service and your quality control. Like, don't do that stupid stuff. And I think that it's sending a wrong message to the young stylist today. I'm not going to say who I think it's coming from because, you know, but what we all know, we've seen these posts all over Instagram, all over Facebook, all over social media of like, you know, making fun of, you know, clients, making fun of clients, saying certain things. You know what? I, I don't like any of it, to be honest with mm. you. I get it. It's funny. We can share. We can have a nice laugh. But don't put that stuff on in public because it makes our industry look bad. In, in customer service and quality control. We need to turn our industry back into serving our guests in the most accommodating, in the most wealthy of ways. And so we need to share our skill in that way. And so these policies of like, oh, I'm not going to fix your hair because you're just abusing me. Okay. Like the redo policy is, is I could literally talk an hour about the redo policy because to me, you fix it. You did it. You fix it. You, they don't like it. You do it again and you do it again and you do it again until it's done, until that client is yours. There's no way you're going to build loyalty if they feel that they're, they're getting any resistance from you in providing the best of service. The Ritz-Carlton hotels 
provide a budget. They have a program. They provide a budget of $2,000 a day for every single department. Any employee can decide that they want to treat a customer of theirs to something that's going to make their day. Buying a cake, buying a bottle of Jameson, whatever you want. They have $2,000 a day set aside. Are you kidding me? The salon industry can't just guarantee a service. Like, stop it. You know what I mean? Like, this is ridiculous. Guarantee the service. So that's like a whole other thing. I, I, I can tell how passionate I feel about that. <laughs> no, not at all. Young stylists, young stylists especially, who are building, if you're not at 100% productivity, you don't have the choice. Fix your clients. You're at 25% booked out, fix your clients. Your clients call back, they don't like it, do it again, right? So that, I think, has catapulted our business with our clientele. They trust it, and they know it, and they believe in it. And I resist, my clients, my stylists resist it all the time. I have to hammer them all the time. I believe in it so strongly mm -hmm. that as a business owner, I pay my stylist to redo other people's work, other styles work, meaning I pay them in full, full commission on the service where I never see a dime exchanged, mm -hmm. but I pay the, the service because I believe in that guarantee that much. And so that is number one. Number two, I'm big on team building. Um, doesn't mean that I don't suffer from the same team issues you guys do. I do. Um, but I build a team as hard as I can all the time. We believe in a culture of teamwork. We help each other at any given point. Anyone in the salon can go in that back room. If somebody sit in the back room can ask, can you please help me with this? And the answer needs to be yes. And if it's not yes, then I want to know and I'll, I'll correct the behavior. And so that's, that's how another reason. And I think that that differentiates it. I, I definitely come up against things that are challenging sometimes with that, but, but overall we have built a very solid culture in my opinion. Um, the other thing that I would say that our business does that grew that much is that we focus heavily um, on team uh, on, I'm sorry, on training technical skill. So we train technical skill um, anywhere from four to five times a week. Uh, so, so we are hardcore, heavy, heavy, heavy go uh, hitters on that. Whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. We're going to spend some time here. So, yeah. so you're, you're doing technical skills for, how, how do you schedule that? How do you do that? Give it, give it. You set aside people that you pay that are going to be the top trainers in your business that you recognize high skill in. So if you have a high skill in updos, you're an updo trainer. If you have high skills in front desk training, you train front desk. If you have a high skill in retailing, you train retailing, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say I don't want to do that. Is, is that cool too? Like if I didn't. Yeah, cool. you don't want to do it, don't do it. But if you want to make extra cash, yeah. And, uh, and the way we do it, you can make an extra two, 3,000 a year, if not more, just training in our salon. That's going to give you your savings for your retirement, by the way. That's going to give you uh, vacation pay, you know, and some of our trainers make six, $7,000 or, or 10. We've had some trainers make 10,000 a year in our salon. So in addition to their commission, it's additional pay. So, so that is what you call leveraging your team. You know, that's you're, you're, you're taking your team and you create this training system where they become your insulin trainers. Well, we have launched many an outside salon trainer, you know, uh, people who've trained outside the salon. These are, the secret to training and becoming an educator trainer is just start training where you are. You know, if you train the people you're around, you're going to build your skill and you're going to build your reputation and your credibility. And then, and, and then you have something solid to teach. And so start in the salon. It's, 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 that's where our customers touch. So start there. And then, and then we schedule time. So we're like Wednesday morning, nine 30 to 12 training, balayage, be there. Um, we create an annual calendar on the annual calendar, it's like mapped out. So if Goldwell is coming in to teach us a class 12 times a year, we have that date scheduled. I identify 
or the leaders of the salon identify who needs that class. That class then becomes mandatory. For everyone else, it's not mandatory. You can come if you want. And then, but the ones that need it, like new employees that need to learn how to use well, it's mandatory. You got to come. So, right? I mean, it's just the way it goes. And so, I mean, we can go on and on and on all day about this it. training system, but, but you need to have internal training structures in your salon to build technical skill. If your technical skill doesn't get higher, you're just doing nothing but just losing half of them. That's why retention levels are so low in this industry. And, and you, and you, you, you've seen a direct uh, correlation with your retention numbers and, and the systems that you have in place. 150%. Yes. Like 150%, 150%. Was that like an agreement or is that 150% uh, retention? Uh, rate? No, 150%. If your technical skill, if you were not trained technical skill on a regular basis, your retention will be incredibly low. One of the main ways to get your retention up is to build your technical skill. They are your monetizable skills. It's what you make money with. If you're not delivering those with quality and consistency, you're screwed. What's amazing. She, I mean, she travels the country teaching uh, a lot of this, you know what I mean? So, um, I can I, you know, I, I can't wait to have her back on and, and dive into a lot of these systems or a lot of these little, uh, mm-hmm. things that she does to on an everyday basis that, you know, cause right now, how, how big is your salon? It's 6,200 square feet. Oh, so. Can you imagine how many operators now? Uh, we're at 42, I think right now. 42. Can we- or I mean, I'm sorry, 42 employees. Out of those forty-two employees, uh, twenty-four of them, twenty-five of them are operators, uh, or uh, stylists, or service providers behind the chair. The rest are support team, front desk assistants. So when I say we have a lot of assistance and training, I mean it. That's all. Just think about God, Nikki. Just think about. Just think about the lives that you're changing, man. You know, those lives of those young hairdressers, even if they don't, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this and she's going to cringe and, you know, probably give me the finger or something, but like, even those that don't stay with you, you know, even those that just kind of grow on and stuff like, like just an opportunity that you've given, g- given them in growing their business and their careers. I mean, I just, I, I applaud you. I, I, I can't kind of thank you enough for, for, for being, a, I mean, imagine being a kid and like learning it the right way. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> like like Tabitha would come into your salon and not know what to do. She'd be taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'd hardly doubt that. But I can learn from her. She's she's pretty. She's pretty. She's a smart cookie. She's pretty. Funny. But uh, I'm just saying, you know, your mom and your dad. I mean, your mom has to be oh so God. proud of you. I think she is. You know, I'm, she uh, she helps me a lot. You know, I'm I'm very lucky to have her around because she helps me with my kids. So, you know, so I can do what I need to do here and she's always willing to support and all of that, you know, so I'm really, really, you're doing exactly what she came here for. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, you, yeah. So I, 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 uh, so I, I, I am a part of Virginia women's business conference, which is this really amazing women's leadership, executive leadership group. And, uh, we share, I, I actually have shared a couple stories with them about that. I don't, I didn't share what I share here, but. I was a little bit uncomfortable, but anyway, um, it's, it's, it's interesting because what that's really taught me is this mom to daughter relationship of watching your kids do certain things. And then, um, you know, I, I don't have any daughters. I have two sons, but, um, it's, it's interesting to watch my mom with my sister and I, so my sister's actually, if you can imagine, she's a thousand times more successful than I am. Are you serious? What does she do? 
She runs uh, the the commercial lending division of MVB Mortgage Banking. Oh wow! Here in uh, yeah, she's like she's a scary girl. <laughs> coming from the coming from the jujitsu uh, queen. Uh, and she's mm. smart. She's tough, and she's smart, man. Nobody messes with her. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Is your dad still around? Yeah, my dad's still around. He's he's kind of ill these days, you know. So he's he's um, you know fighting health issues, but um, yeah, but he's quiet. He's kind of he's around. Yeah. Can we talk about one? Can we talk travel. about one of your service providers because you have forty two, but, yeah. but but not that I'm not interested in all of them. But one of them I want to talk about. So kind of tell us about your relationship with uh, Alik from the uh, from Unicorn Tribe. So Alik's is. Um, she, you know, I share with you guys a little bit earlier that I'm utterly blown away by this girl's talent. I mean, she, she doesn't just do hair. She is like a Van Gogh, you know, she's an artist. She paints, she thinks like an artist. She thinks like a painter. She thinks of the hair like a canvas. I mean, this is how she does it. And, and she thinks of things you know with her kinetic painting techniques and everything she is her so her technical skill is like outrageous outrageous she could that's why she's teaching others mm-hmm. right to do this that's why she built this brand because people can recognize her skill they can see like the beauty of it and just the, the pure flawlessness of it however here's what happened i think somewhere in the industry and, and she is a heart girl like she is all heart and and I've known her for a little bit kind of from a distance and then we get a little closer and then a little closer. And it's like, we just kind of slowly have kind of merged together a little bit. And what's happened is that I've recognized just like a lot of other people in this industry, they haven't been taken really great care of. You know, a lot of people in the past might've, uh, might've not given their, their best, you know, to her. And so, and uh, so, so she, she has a little bit of this same stylist mentality that I've seen a lot of other styles. They're, they're a little mistrusting of business owners because maybe business owners, I very, I, I'm not going to say that business owners are unscrupulous most of the time because they're not. Most of the time they're just uninformed, you know? And so they're reacting to the moment of what they know. And so instead of pushing to learn and research something new, they kind of just stay in the same mind space. And so it's, it's hard. So when they, I think that Elite's had that type of experience. And so I'm hoping that our experience is that she can teach me a lot about how she trains her, her, you know, classes and I can really help her and, uh, and, and guide her to be stronger in business because she is launching a brand that is massive. I mean, like it's 160,000 followers or something like that, that she's on all on her own. I mean, no help from anybody. This girl is, and she's a single mom. You know I mean? Think about that. She, she speaks to my heart in a lot of ways. But uh, we are helping her groom, but we are doing it in this new concept called, so we're, we're, we're trying to change some things in the industry. We're going to call it the independent artist concept uh, or the business model. It is, it's going to sound a lot like booth rent, but it isn't. I'm taking the best of both worlds, commission-based businesses and all the support networks and all the coaching, the business coaching and all of the assistant help and front desk help and scheduling help and everything. And we're going to merge that together with the concept of being an independent stylist. So we're going to call that independent artist. And Alix is sort of our flagship young lady that's going to be doing this. And so we are, we are going to be trying to provide what independents want 
that I keep hearing them say, which is, I want education. I want support. I want teamwork. I need help with coaching, business coaching and finances. I need help with all these things. And then I'm going to try to give my business education to those people and then provide this umbrella in our salon. And so we have some, I gave you a little tour of some of our space. And so we're going to create just a few spaces. I don't want a lot of them. I just want a few good ones. And so that's really my goal to kind of launch this and then help them become like a leaks in the sense of educators in the industry, changing the game. And then they can become trainers to the independent world um, because it's needed. It's needed to, to train these soulless suite owners and to train these uh, independent styles and these booth renters to do it differently, to do it better. And so I want our team here to be the people that are functioning out of here properly and they can learn through experience and they can go out and teach others how, how to do it correctly and, and compliantly with the IRS and the labor department um, and the government. Huge, huge. And I tell you what, if, if anyone can do it, Nikki can. Yep. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> We're going to give it a good shot. And so Alix is really my partner in that. And uh, that. she's, she's really helping me to, to uh, become sort of my model of that. We're going to learn on her and, you know, learn. figure out the, the kinks and, and work them all out. That's awesome. Love, 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 love it. Miss Nikki, um, I'm really uh, excited. Uh, I guess I can make an announcement now. Nikki's going to join us back for uh, a, a few more of our, our, our Thursday releases. Um, just uh, just as you see, you know, she's like balls to the wall all the time, you know, and she has all the information to give. So we're, we're hoping to get a couple of episodes of, uh, of, of, of Nikki um, in that role. Um, as a matter of fact, if you're listening to this and, and you have some business questions or anything, you know, feel free to, uh, to DM us at Hairdistry on Instagram. And, um, and if we have some questions, but we want, we don't want questions inside the business. If there's something that we should, if we should cover, um, as a topic, then, you know, reach out to us and, and, and we'll reach out to Nikki and see if she has any, uh, if she, she definitely has uh, opinions or, or, or something about, about how to run your business. Um, Nikki. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I just want to give you a big heart and just say how much I love you and, and how much we appreciate you. I see a long future ahead of us. I look into the future and I see a long one for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do too, guys. Thank you so much. What a, I mean, you guys are so freaking charming. It's ridiculous. Uh, oh, that's him. That's Thank Tony. You. Thank you <laughs> for giving me the opportunity to share. I've never had anybody ask me the questions you guys have asked me, by the way, just so you know. Hey, Nikki, this is where, this is the shameless plug part. Where, um, where can people find you or, or, or where are you located? So you can, uh, well, you can just straight up email me if you want. That's Nikki statements at gmail.com. So N I K K I statements, S T A T E M E N T S at gmail.com. You can just send me an email. I'm really open to just, you know, having a conversation anytime you want about anything. I'm happy to help. Um, you know, I don't like to buy anyone into anything. That's not my style. Uh, if you want to work with me, I'm a ball. I'm all about building relationships. I want only people who really want to build long-term connections. So um, that's who we built. Uh, or, or you can just get on Instagram at, uh, at Nick Trowbridge, salonbizedu.com. But if you just put in Nick, N-I-K-T-R-O-W, it'll come right up. Um, and then the Statements Project Instagram and the Statements Project Facebook. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's it. But, uh, maybe I'm at all the hair shows too. Please come visit me in class and just come say hi. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to just have a conversation. PM me through, um, Instagram through Facebook, send me an email and we'll just get to talking and we'll see if I can help. And if I can't help, I'm going to send you the right people that can. I know a lot of people that can help you. Awesome. It seems like she has a whole lot more time than I have. 
Like she's doing so much more. <laughs> no, it's the same twenty-four hours. Her doesn't. Right. <laughs> she even has time to reflect. Right. <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> Only at night because I don't. I can't fall asleep fast. Oh my gosh. So, but um, if people are looking for you, uh, you spend some time with Gino, right? I do. I do. So we're having an event in November, November seventeenth and eighteenth, and I. This is my shameless plug because I'm telling you. If you want to become a leader, if you want to create salon training systems inside your business, and if you want to become an educator and a speaker like Gino or like me or like anybody else, um, this is the event to go to. I'm telling you, Gino and I are pouring our heart and souls into this two days. Uh, and we are creating some really strategic methods. It's not a motivational, fluffy kind of thing. This is going to be super strategic. We're going to give you online or education about how to get online classes going, about how to build curriculums, uh, about how to create presentations that that sell um etc and so that's going to be held at turf valley resort in maryland um in on november 17th and 18th if you guys want more go to mentor masters facebook um and or mentor masters instagram and we're doing posts about it or just email me and ask me about it or you can email gino message gino <laughs> make him message you back he's really good about yeah, it though um and gino's so excited i'm really really privileged i'm like are you kidding me that I get to have Gino basically help me, you know what I mean? And grow me and, and partner with me. I mean, that's, that's a big deal for me. Right. I mean, I grew up in this area watching him like and learning from him in big, big ways. And I cannot tell you how lucky I feel that this guy and his wife, Barb, beautiful, sweet wife, she's tough as nails too. that woman. She, they invited me into their home and now our team and we're family. And, and I'm very, very lucky for that. So yeah, we're doing big things, Gino and I. Gino Stampor is a uh, is a, is a wonderful dude, and and Tony and I, when we uh, we we had the opportunity to talk to him, we actually did it live with him. You know, like in the room with him, not over Skype, and and. I remember there was a little there was a little giddiness on 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 our part too because uh, because uh, we honor him as well. You know, well, Miss Nikki Lee. Yes, who doesn't? My God, he is like talking about OG. That man is like the OG gangster, like mm -hmm. business coach, mentors. You know, I don't remember anybody OG. before him, really. Not as an no, individual. No, you know, I mean, he's the, he's the original he independent like, educator, right? He's yep, never been brand yep. affiliated. He's never, he's never been brand affiliated. Can you believe that? I mean, it's outrageous. And that man knows how to sell. So if you want, you're an educator and you want to sell, he's your guy. Like, I mean, there's no, no yeah. doubt about it. Well, enough of the Gino, uh, a Gino podcast this is all about Nikki. Nikki <laughs> Lee, thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. And again, I, I'm looking forward to future conversations, but, but thank you for joining us on your day off. I am so happy to. Thanks. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>